continue our journey through the letter from the Apostle Paul to the Romans this morning by looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. In Romans chapter 1 through 11, we read of the great rescue of God for his people. A rescue that was absolutely necessary because of humanity's inability to rescue themselves. And we read about this great rescue of the sovereign God through his sovereign grace in Romans chapter 1 through 11. But then when we go to Romans chapter 12, as we did for the first time a few weeks ago, Paul shifts his attention and he says this, therefore, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's in chapter 12 that Paul wants us to understand that if you have received this grace, if you have received the great love of God and you have been the recipient and the beneficiary of the great rescue of God that we've read about in Romans chapter 1 through 11, then in Romans chapter 12, Paul wants to understand wants his people to understand, wants the church to understand, this is how you respond, and this is how you should live. In the first chapter, or the first few verses of Romans chapter 12, Paul says that the only proper response is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then last week, we looked at the reality that this life that we are to live is not done in isolation, but done in the context of community, as one people, as one family of God. And then this week, as we look at verses 9 through 16, before we partake in the Lord's Supper, Paul wants us to understand this, that if you have been loved, then how should you love others? If you have been loved by the Father, then how is the love of the Father put on display in your life? Love as you have been loved. Let's look at verses 9 through 16 together. Hear the word of the living God. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. To be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. <clears throat> Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And on this Lord's day, the grass continues to wither, and the flower continues to fade. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. What do you love? Or whom do you love? What was the first thing that popped in your mind? For all of us, we have something or someone that we love dearly. For many of us, we have many things that we love dearly. We love good food. We love our spouse. We love our children. We love our jobs. We love our homes. We love our vacation or our recreation, whatever it might be. 
But what's interesting in our English vocabulary is we use the same word love to describe all of our loves. We love donuts and we love our spouse. Now hopefully some of you love your spouse more than you love donuts, although there might be some days you love donuts more than you love your spouse, and, and we have counseling for that here at Coral Ridge. <laughs> but the reality is the same word love is used in our English vernacular to describe all of the things that we love and are passionate about. But it's interesting in the Greek, in the Greek New Testament, the authors use all kinds of words to describe love. Agape love and phileo love and eros love, all describing different types of forms and passions of love that we exhibit as people, as humans. And the only reason I bring that up is here in verse 9, when Paul opens up in verse 9 by saying, let your love be genuine, he's speaking of agape love. What is agape love? Agape love is the unconditional love of God that up until Romans chapter 12 had only been reserved to describe the way that God loves his people. In Romans 1 through 11, God uses, uh, Paul uses the word agape love to describe the unconditional love and favor of God. But here in chapter 12 is the first time that the agape love, the unconditional love, is also directed towards believers. That the same love that was demonstrated towards you in God through the person of Jesus Christ in chapters 1 through 11 is now the type of love that Paul is calling his people to put on display and to demonstrate. You see, what Paul is trying to do here in Romans chapter 12 is he wants us to understand that you, if you call yourself a Christian, if you have received the love of God, that you will begin to resemble who? you'll be able to resemble God. That over time, you will resemble your Father. That you have received the Father love, and now the, the love of the Father, and now over time, you will begin to resemble your Father. But we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Because it was just a few chapters earlier in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that we read this. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to who? the image of the Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, the reality is this, that Christ came into the world to not only reconcile us to God, but also conform us and transform us into the image of his Father and into his likeness. So it should be no surprise that the Father's love that was poured out upon us in Jesus Christ is the same love that Paul is now calling Christians to exhibit, love others like we have been loved. What does that love look like for us here in Romans chapter 12? Well, the first thing that we learn about the love of God that now is to be exhibited in believers everywhere is love. The love of God is honest. The love of God is honest. Verse 9, what does it say? Let love be genuine. The word genuine there means without hypocrisy. What does that mean for love to be genuine? The love of God that is now manifest in believers is to be genuine without hypocrisy. This is what it means. That you can no longer say to your brothers and sisters sitting next to you, I love you. 
but hate them in your heart. It means you can no longer walk along this campus and say, I love you, brother, I love you, sister, but in your heart you are absolutely murdering them inside. This is what love means to be genuine. It means for the Christian that you cannot have a veneer on the outside of niceness and warmth and politeness, but the inside you are just in an utter rage inside. That's what Paul's talking about. Let your love be genuine. Let your love be sincere. Let your love be without hypocrisy. But then Paul goes a step further. In honest love, not only is honest love genuine, but then he goes on in verse 9 to say, abhor what is evil. Some translations might say hate what is evil. Isn't that interesting? Love, hate. Love, abhor. What Paul is trying to say here is that true, genuine love for the Christian that is manifest in the life of the Christian means to love but to hate what is evil. He's, what he's getting at is we must be people who love but are truthful with our love. That we do not shy away from speaking truth to our brothers and our sisters and our friends and our family just because we think the truth might be uncomfortable. Now listen, we are all guilty of this at one level, at one point in our life, of being stalwarts for the truth, of being stalwarts for biblical conviction. But then as soon as this conviction and this truth affects somebody in our inner circle, what do we tend to do? We tend to shy away from confronting them with the truth. But is that truly loving your brother or your sister? No. What Paul is saying is if you truly love the person to your right or to your left, you truly love the person that God has put in your life, when you begin to see themselves step off the edge, when you begin to see them in a life and a pattern of destruction, the most unloving thing you can do is to say nothing. But the most loving thing you can do is to confront them with the truth, not with arrogance, not with pride, but with all humility. That is what it means to love with truth, loving people, but not wanting to rock the boat because of fearing that they will abandon you or reject you is not true love. In fact, you know what it is? It's actually loving yourself because you're scared in that moment of losing the thing that you treasure the most. That is the love of a spouse or the love of a sibling or the love of a child or the love of a friend. In that moment of refusing to confront them with the truth, you're actually loving yourself more than you love that person to your right or to your left. And oh, how the world and our culture needs people who hold fast to what is good. Oh, how our world needs people who hold fast to what is true and what is right. So love must be honest. It must be genuine. It must be true hating what is evil, abhorring what is bad. Love must be honest. That is the agape love of God towards you and the agape love of God that is on display for others. But not only is love honest, but love is hard. We learn here in this passage about the hard love of God that we are now called to demonstrate. 
Paul uses words in verses 10 through 13 like loving one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another in showing honor, not being slothful in zeal, being fervent in spirit, rejoicing in hope, patient in in tribulation, constant in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints and seeking to show hospitality. Are you exhausted yet? That's an... Oh my goodness. This love of God is exhausting. This love of God is hard, devoted, patient, zealous, constant. This is the love of God. But we shouldn't be surprised, should we? How was God's love demonstrated towards you? With a snap of a finger? With the ease of a father? No, the whole story of God sending his son down to earth was exhausting. Jesus who comes and is born not in his own neighborhood, but in a foreign neighborhood, born in exile, born homeless with not a place to lay his head, exiled, um, abandoned by his friends, abandoned by his family to find himself naked hanging on the cross. There is nothing that is not exhausting about the love of God towards us in the person of Jesus Christ, then why should we be surprised about when the love of God is put on display in our life? It is a calling to hard love, a love at times that is exhausting, devoted, patient, zealous, constant. It costs something. It actually might cost us something. It's sacrificial. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, seeking to show hospitality. The love of God put on display in your life actually means selfless, sacrificial love where you give of yourself in sacrifice and in service selflessly. This is the message for the Christian. This is the mission of the Christian, that we love with no reserve, that we actually sacrifice something in return. This love of God is hard. It's exhausting. It's sacrificial. But the love of God is hard because it also is emotionally engaging. Listen to what it says. Skip down with me to verse 15. Verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You see, the love of God that is put on display in God's people requires us to get emotionally engaged with others. Now, some of you have just tuned me out because you've said, I can't handle my own emotions, let alone the emotions of others in my life. But this is why this love of God is so hard, because it actually calls you into a place and into a posture where you have the ability or the capacity or the calling to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is easier said than done. Now, I want to ask you the question, what do you think is easier, rejoicing or weeping? Some of you might say, it's hard for me to weep with those who weep. Some of you have said, it's hard for me to rejoice with those who rejoice. I tend to think, knowing our human nature and our condition, that for the majority of us, it's hardest to rejoice with those who rejoice, if we're all honest, and this therefore making the love of God so hard for us to demonstrate the idea of rejoicing with those who rejoice. Because there's sometimes I don't feel like rejoicing. There's sometimes I don't feel like rejoicing because when I look at my own inner turmoil and my own life, there's not much to rejoice. So why would I want to rejoice with you when I have very little rejoice in my own life? 
For those that have children, you know what I'm talking about. When somebody comes up to you, might even happen in a few minutes after church, and they just glow about their children, and they rejoice about their kids, and let me show you their pictures from this past weekend, and inside of yourself you're going, if they only knew the condition of my home, if they only knew my children and their status, how can I sit here and rejoice with you over your children when I know the condition of my own children at home? Take social media, for instance. Absolutely crushing. You scroll on social media and you see other people's pictures and, and you might see and capture a, a couple that you know, good friends of yours, taking their fifth trip to Paris for their 10th anniversary. And you're trying to rub enough nickels together to go to Outback this past, this weekend. You know what I mean? It's absolutely crushing. It's absolutely crushing and one of the hardest things to do to say this, brother, sister, you are tasting in this life something that I have not yet tasted. And I rejoice in that. It is easier said than done to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Do you see why this is so hard? To exhibit the Father's love in our lives? Do you see why it's impossible? Now, if you're sitting here right now and you say, this is impossible. There's no way I could love someone like this with this type of honesty and this type of truth and this type of sacrifice. You're right. It is impossible on your own, by your own efforts. You're right. It is impossible by your own power. How in the world can someone like you and me love with this type of affection, with this type of fortitude, with this type of power? It's only this. Only a person can love like this if they have first been loved like this. The only way that you and I can love in this manner is if you have first received this type of love. You see, big givers are only big givers because they have first been big receivers. People who love greatly are people who love greatly because they have been loved greatly. This is the message of the gospel. You see, every world religion says this, you will receive much because you have given much. You will be loved much because you have loved greatly. But Christianity turns that message upside down and says, no, you will be loved first so that you can love others. You have, will be loved with an extravagant love so that therefore you can now go extravagantly love others. This is the good news for you and me. The only way that you and I can have the power to find the power to love in this capacity is to understand that there is a power in you if you are in Christ this morning, that you have been loved greatly. Now, therefore, you can go love the same. This past week was World Down Syndrome Day on March 21st. This day is near and dear to me because I have a best friend, Pastor Phil Letizia, who's a pastor in the community who gave birth to a, he and his wife had a child three years ago that was born with Down syndrome, their little baby Jane. 
few years ago, though, I heard of a couple that was going through a similar experience, giving birth to a Down syndrome child. And when the son reached two years old, the son started to have all kinds of complications in addition to the normal complications that would come with a child with Down syndrome. They had intestinal disorders. The, the son also had a hole in his heart. And surgery after surgery, a visit after visit to the doctor, the, the father and the mother and their pastor were in the waiting room and, and the father just snapped. He just had too much. And thinking about the emotional and the financial toll that this was taking on their family, the reality that this will be their condition for the rest of their lives, forever taking care of this child. And he cries out to God audibly and he yells out to God and he says, God, why have you done this? Why have you given us this son? It's too much to bear. And the pastor leans in and looks at the father and he says this. He says, you are God's child. But have you ever thought that he gets anything out of his relationship with you? You offer him very little. Now, the father confesses at that point he wanted to stand up and hit the pastor but um, for being so insensitive, but he decided not to, and he just continued to listen to the pastor's counsel. He said to the father, he says, you have no idea what the love of God cost him. You have no idea what the father God did to adopt you as his son. You are the most special needs child he has, and he loves you just the same. The father, after minutes of sitting there and basking in the extravagant love of his father, it breaks him. And from that day forward, was able to commit his life to selfless sacrificial service to his broken son to allow him to know that he is his treasured boy and his treasured gift. How do you and I love the unlovable? How do you and I love those people that absolutely seem impossible to love? There's only one way. If you knew that you were someone's enemy and he died for you, If you knew that, you could love anyone. And that someone is not just a figment of our imagination this morning, but that someone is Jesus Christ, whom at one point we were enemies with. And Jesus came down and loved us unconditionally so that we now could go out and love others. Listen to me. Do you know this love of God? If you have experienced the love of God, the extravagant love of the Father through the person and work of Jesus Christ, how could you go a day without distributing this love freely upon those whom seem impossible to love? You might be here today and might be here this morning, and you've never experienced this love. To experience this type of love that we've talked about this morning has seemed for your life too good to be true. But I'm here with good news this morning. What forever seemed too good to be true is true 
in the person of Jesus Christ. He invites you this morning to come, to receive freely the extravagant love of his Father, not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you've achieved, not because of your prayer life or your church attendance or anything you've done, solely on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He offers himself to you this morning as a gift and says you can have all the love you've ever hoped for, all the love you've ever imagined, found in one person, Jesus Christ. Would you receive him today? Receive him by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the finished work that we're about to celebrate of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus makes this promise. If you come to me, you'll never be hungry again. And if you have Jesus, you have it all, because nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is found in Jesus Christ our Lord.